When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Argyle Chat. I'm Martin Gritton. And I'm Ian Stonebridge. Welcome to Argyle Chat, the weekly Argyle podcast brought to you by Plymouth Live Sports Desk. Well, there we go. Certainly a very different intro to uh, Argyle Chat this week, but um, a massive welcome to this week's special guest hosts, Martin Gritton and Ian Stonebridge, and joining us as well is our podcast regular, Chris Errington. Hi, Chris. Hello, Stu, Grits and Stoney. Thank you for joining us. Welcome aboard the uh, the good ship of our chat. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, so as I say, guys, thanks for having, thanks for uh, coming on the show this week to, to guest host. Um, what have you both been up to? Oh, Stoney, you go ahead. You start. Yeah, um, yeah so, yeah, all, all good, thanks. I mean, um, Obviously, strange times over recent months, but I'm I'm currently working as a lecturer up at Plymouth Marjon University. Um, so I've been I've been there for a few years now, lecturing in sports coaching PE. Um, for my sins, I'm also trying to do a PhD uh, at Loughborough University. So most of my time is either taken up um, kind of preparing stuff for Marjons, doing some of that online teaching over the last few months, and then mainly feeling guilty if I'm not if I'm not writing or working on my PhD. So. Yeah, that's that's where I am at the moment. I've, I've done some coaching for Argyle's academy over over kind of the last ten years as well. I've had to put that on kind of pause a little bit while I'm trying to get this PhD written, but certainly hope to get back to that perhaps perhaps early next year. So, so yeah, that's me. But we'll have to we'll literally have to a call you Doctor Doctor Stonebridge because <laughs> pro- Professor was a nickname that got bandied around early doors because you were always one of the more switched on lads, but. Dr. Stonebridge has a ring to it. Yeah, I think back then that was only based on some half-decent GCSE results, so I'm not sure <laughs> if it was fully warranted, but it's all relative, isn't it? So maybe in football, you know, a couple of A grades was enough to differentiate yourself back then. Yeah, it probably was. Um, I uh, think, Stuart, when I, I spoke to you, maybe were we just going into the lockdown? So I was still yeah. finishing up my contract with Comic Relief. I was, I was working on the Sport Relief campaign, which was a lot of fun. Um, uh, then managed to get a job at London Stadium. So I'm working for London Stadium on marketing and communications, which is what I've been working in for the last maybe about eight years. Um, it's great to obviously get a permanent role, but not a lot going on at the stadium at the minute. I, I work for the stadium and not for West Ham. So West Ham's behind closed doors matches have been managed by our stadium operations team. So it's been really interesting to see how they've managed to do that. Um, and obviously the size of the stadium makes things a lot easier for socially distancing. So, I mean, I, I can only imagine the challenges, you know, because after the government announcement on Friday with Boris, there's going to, all stadiums are going to be looking to come back, aren't they, around October time. So it'll be interesting to see how Argyle managed to do that. But we managed to pull it off at London Stadium without any people. Uh, let's just hope we can do it when, when people do come back. Yeah. Are you actually watching the games then, the, the West Ham games at the moment? No, so they have a really tight uh, remit on how many people can be in the stadium. So if there was a need for me to be there, but there isn't really, because I can do most of my stuff remotely, keeping an eye on things in social, 
And because it's behind closed doors, no one's watching the game, so there's not a lot going on. So just redirecting people to West Ham's channels for any of the match stuff. And then if there's anything security-wise or for the local community, just in terms of access to, to the park, I can just kind of let them know about that. Uh, and then just fingers crossed that West Ham get the results they needed to stay in the Premier League, which they did at the minute. So not mathematically up, but pretty much safe. Yeah, indeed. And they sort of have athletics there, don't they, Martin? Baseball, what, what other sort of stuff uh, at the London Stadium? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Since 2006, 15, 16, I think they've, they've tried to be a multi-purpose venue. So you've had gigs there. You've had some massive gigs like Guns N' Roses, ACDC, Beyonce, Jay-Z were there, uh, Rolling Stones. Then you'll change it for the anniversary games to commemorate, you know, just the, the attachment to the, the Olympics, as obviously it was the Olympic Stadium. And that which is now the London Stadium. Those anniversary games are a really big, uh, a popular event, but a, a big mark in the calendar for the UK athletics. So that was a that was a real a sore one for them this year to have to postpone it. Uh, operationally for the stadium, it meant that we didn't have to change it to an athletics track. So for continuity's sake, it's easier just to keep the West Ham games on, and we'll roll literally into another West Ham season. Um, just just obviously with new kind of guidelines and new um, ways of bringing fans into the stadium safely. Great. Well, um, it's good to know what you're up to now. Let's have a little wander down Nostalgia Alley. Um, let's go back to the start and, and how you both joined Argyle and, and came across each other because, of course, you were both strikers. Um, Grits, I think you might be a little bit older than Stoney, but not a, not a lot in it. Um, perhaps start with Stone. Um, let's, well, let's start with Grits because you, you joined Argyle first, I think, didn't you? You were... I was looking in my, my records. You were summer of 1998, I think, you really joined Argyle. And Stoney was probably the following summer. So what, what are your thoughts about joining Argyle, Martin? Do, do you know what, Chris? I think our Argyle careers are almost identical. Well, we started at the same time, didn't we? Because I think the match reports, I started, I played a random reserve game against Bournemouth. I think the centre-half for Bournemouth that day was the manager of Bournemouth now, isn't it? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I think... I think Eddie Howe was playing centre-half that day. Played up front with Danny O'Hagan. It was a very different Argyle team to the one that me and Stoney came into because it was kind of Mick Jones, remnants of that squad, Neil Warnock's squad, the kind of uh, League One team. Really some great players in there, but um, a very different thing. So I was at uni at the time, so kind of had a few good reserve games. Got given opportunities uh, by... I always found Kevin Blackwell great to talk to. He was a, he was a goalkeeper coach, but he was also a great football coach as well and he was really supportive and helpful of me coming through and got me back in for pre-seasons uh, and then when I came in the actual pre-season with, with uh, Kevin Hodges that was a, like a completely new look team that had kind of come across from Torquay some of their star players you know Paul Gibbs who's who'd a, had a brilliant season the previous one before but plus a few trialists so uh, Stoney you might be able to help me on this one but we, we had Chrissy Argreaves, Richard Flash we were all staying in the uh, and the Argyle digs for pre-season because we were doing a lot of training, so there wasn't much time to get backwards and forwards home to Truro. Stoney, where were you at that point? Did you, because your folks are in Bridgewater? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, slightly still feel guilty about the story, but I was obviously just, I think I just about um, finished my driving lesson. So I was trying to learn to drive and pass my test before the start of the season so I could live at home in, with mum and dad up in Wellington in Somerset. And uh, yeah, so... Passed my test, so that was all great. I had to go down to Exeter to take it because I couldn't get a test early enough in Swanton. So I thought, yeah, fantastic, got it done. And then I think the day after, it was literally the, the morning after I passed my test, 
Um, I was out for a drive with my dad and a mate of mine in the back, and so I crashed my mum's car. Not really badly, but you know, bad enough that that it was out of action for a little while. I think that's the only time my dad's heard me swear really badly. Um, so yeah, that's that's a bad memory. But that meant I ended up in the Argo Hotel, I think, for maybe a week while that was getting repaired, and then um, was able to kind of use my mum's. I think it was a purple Corsa, if I remember rightly. Really nice little car. Um, lived at home then for that that first season and commuted down from Wellington. So yeah, I ended up in the hotel as well, but not such a, not perhaps such a good reason. Yeah, that, I remember that, 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 that rings true. I, I couldn't remember about the car crash, but yeah. <laughs> there was a few of us in there, wasn't there, Stoney? We had Barrington Belgrave as well, yeah. was down there at the time. We had a yeah. lot of young strikers that were just proving. So me, I mean, we couldn't have had more different journeys, Stoney, to both arrived at Plymouth, but that, that point leads that leads on to that question, Stuart. I don't know if you want me to just go straight into it. Well, yeah, uh, um, do for it. So the, just, uh, uh, the question here, Stuart, you, you obviously came in and your first contract, you, you play for England under-18s. What was that like and who did you play up against? Because obviously being at Plymouth, the, I mean, I, I supported Plymouth because I lived in Cornwall, so the only time we ever had players playing for under-18s would maybe the goalkeeper was it Alan Nichols, who you know sadly passed away. He was a brilliant talent so I mean like kind of the the rarity of having any sort of internationals at that level what was that like and how, how did it come about? Yes yeah, it's, it's kind of funny I guess because through, through my time at Spurs and, and and in the age group below that despite being involved with with obviously you know Tottenham being a top club um, never had a sniff of anything international related really you know played, played for maybe some regional FA squads but nothing nothing approaching kind of the full squad um, but then obviously the, the exposure you get from being in someone's first team, which obviously fortunately for me happened, you know, straight away at Argyle. Um, I think that puts you puts you in the shop window a little bit or puts you up, puts you on the map and and uh, was was lucky enough to get get the call up. So yeah, lots of that happened really quickly, I guess. So although in that squad were people I'd played against, you know, quite a few West Ham players that I'd probably played against for Spurs, um, you know, it it was then we were on more of a, a level playing field, I guess. So I don't know the, yeah, the team team was pretty frightening when you when you think about it. You know, Gareth Barry, who at that stage was already playing in the Premier League, uh, Joe Cole, Michael Carrick, um, Andy Johnson, who was doing well at Birmingham at, at the time, Gary McSheffrey, who had a great career, I think. You know, was was a commentary at the time as well. So you know, really strong, really strong team. And and as I said, the really the the exposure, I guess, and the prestige of being in. In the first team, despite being, um, you know, from a lower league than most of the other players in the squad, um, you know, meant I got the chance to, to play in those games and, and to start up front in those games, which is fantastic. And of course, you had such such a good start to your Argyle career as well, didn't you, Stoney? I think it was six goals in your first eight games. So, you know, young striker that's scoring goals like that, you 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 are going to get noticed. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, sure Grits will remember um, something similar in that, you know, you're so young and you're so... Um, you know, nobody really knows about you. Nobody, there's no pressure. Everyone's really supportive. You know, I just remember the fans after the pre-season games we had that that pre-season, which I think we had some good ones. Um, you know, remember doing well with grips against Wimbledon um, in particular. You know, so I think there was there was a, a bit of positivity around at the start of that season. And, and as I said, when you're young, you've not really got that many worries. You know, I was back living at home. Nothing to nothing to really concern yourself with other than concentrating on football and not getting hung up on things. You know, <laughs> the extent of the media as it is now obviously was very very different. So 
you know, all we had to worry about was the, the rating that Chris gave us on, on a <laughs> on a Monday afternoon. You know, and <laughs> that was the that was the extent of, of social media as it was, was back then. So no, it was it was really good time and and you know just able to focus and enjoy on, on playing your football and, and obviously as a striker it helps when you're not worried about too much stuff and you tend to be more relaxed and score some goals which is good yeah I'm going to back Chris up here because the worst job for journalists is having to do <laughs> ratings isn't it Chris <laughs> it, it's never particularly pleasant I mean but like Stoney says that's before the internet Stoney <laughs> I mean our younger listeners will, will not believe that there was a world before the internet but um yeah you the, the first time your report and the match ratings would be available from a game on a Saturday at three o'clock would be on a Monday morning. So it's, you know, it's incredible to think how far we've gone, where we've gone from that to, you know, online player ratings at five o'clock, you know, literally minutes after a game's finished. So um, just one other point, Grits mentioned about it being a rarity that uh, an Argyle player represented England at any level. It was so rare that the Evening Herald actually... Um, allowed me to go up to Peterborough United, uh, which is a fair old trek from Plymouth, as, as we all know, um, to go and see Stoney play for the under-18s. And uh, I travelled up with Kevin Hodges and Steve McCall. So I went up in the car with them, and we drove all the way up to, uh, to Peterborough to see Stoney play because it was just such a rare thing that, um, that happened. It just it wasn't something that happened regularly. And I'm just looking on my phone quickly because my colleague... Um, Pete Chapman, who works uh, for Plymouth Live, he, he's got a copy, Stoney, of the programme from the European uh, Championship qualifying round when England played yeah. against Cyprus and yep. Spain. And the list of players on there, I mean, you've touched on a few there um, earlier on, but Stephen Bywater and Chris Kirkland, the goalkeepers, Paul Koncheski, Gareth Barry, um, Michael Carrick, David Prutton, who's on the TV all the time now for Sky Sports, Joe Cole, Ian Stonebridge, Gary McSheffrey, Francis Jeffers, um, Matty Etherington, who's had a good career, Andrew Johnson, Danny Webber, Christian Fox. One guy still playing, James Coppinger, who I see has just signed about um, his 17th successive season yeah. at Doncaster Rovers. It's going to be um, a last one as well, isn't it? The Cops. So that was, a, that, was a, that was some squad, and, and a lot of players went on and played an awful lot of football league games out of that lot. Oh, yeah. And, and went for a few quid as well. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that, that's definitely interesting. Yeah, what a squad that was. Then, then coming back in, because it's funny, isn't it, in the dressing when you come back in after those sort of games? Because that's a whole. I always thought the, with the first games when you're talking Stuart about the goals, how many goals he scored in his first few games, but the novelty for me was going everywhere for the first time. So like even going to like Halifax's ground and just not having a clue even where Halifax was, and you try <laughs> and you drop in off the off the kind of, I don't know if it's the Pennines or whatever, and you go down, you see the ground, you drop in, it's quite a, everyone's got the most northern accent you've ever heard in your life, even if you've watched in Emmerdale or Corey or whatever, they're, they're like hard northern players playing against. We go up there, smash and grab 1-0. Stoney, you were on the score sheet that day, were you? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Got, my dad's still got a nice photo of that left foot shot, so yeah, that was a good one, that one, yeah. <laughs> Just, it's funny, and then how you get back on a bus from those games, and you know, every away trip's eight hours on a bus. Doesn't matter where you're going. Even if you go in Swansea, you'll get stuck at Bristol for four hours just to make it eight hours. It's just the sod's law. So um, I, that was a, I, I love the experience of that, though, and going to those places. And um, those first few games was just, uh, yeah, it was a really good time to be at the club. 
you, you touched on it there, Grits, about the um, Stoney coming back in after playing for England. Did he get much stick then from you and the rest of the lads? It's, there's only so much stick you can probably give someone that's just come from Spurs and is playing for England, but some gen, gentle, gentle ribbing, definitely. We had a couple of, I'd say our four strikers at the club couldn't have been more different. you got Sean McCarthy, who's a guy that had all the experience, just calm head, you know, uh, brilliant to have around the place, great personality in the dressing room. Paul McGregor, complete maverick, just me and Stoney used to just like, he was just had us in stitches the whole time from, you know, just he'd take everything in his stripe, but the quality that he had on the pits. And you got the difference between me and Stoney as like the younger strikers, and even Barrington, you know, the, the, the Barrington, uh, you know, coming coming through, and he went on to have a great career, Kitty Oval and other places in the in the lower, like kind of the top of the non-league, bottom of League Two area. So, um, yeah, we had a really good group of strikers. Lee Phillips, of course, who went on to do really well. He was always on the fringes, but you know, proved his worth at Exeter and Torquay as well. So it's um. Yeah, we had, a, we had a good little uh, crop of young guys with a couple of older heads. Yeah, and as you say, your background was very different coming from Port Levin. Oh, yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. Just coming up, I just scored a lot of goals in that FA Vaz run. I think someone did, there's a piece went up about that run and just looking at, you know, when you're playing in every single qualifying round of the Vaz, which was kind of what we had to do. So that just always put us on the in the sports pages and sometimes on the back page of the Sunday Independent. And I think that kind of really helped, you know, in terms of the exposure uh, to, the, to the Plymouth crowd. And then, um, uh, you know, when, when, when I got the trial, it was um, it was good to just keep my foot in the door. I think you gave me a decent write-up that day against that Bournemouth game, Chris, which uh, probably helped as well. <laughs> I'm more than happy to help. <laughs> <laughs> What was it like playing for um, Paul Sturrock as well? Obviously, Luggy had a fantastic play, uh, career as a, as a striker in Scotland for, for Dundee United. Did you learn a lot from him? Who are you asking? There's two very <laughs> different responses you're going to get here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get both responses then. You go first then, Gritz. I'll go first. I, do you know what? There's, you, you, you can't not learn off the guy. He's brilliant uh, in terms of management. Uh, very, very different style to Hodgie, but he was a striker, so he knew what it took. And if you weren't good enough, he'd tell you, and he'd, he'd, he'd work you harder till you weren't good enough. So, um, you know, I, I lot thank from that respect. I also came from the background where my dad used to record it when we moved to Cornwall. Had all these old VHSs of Scottish games like cup finals, 85 cup finals, Celtic versus Dundee United, cup run, um, and even like talking about Dundee United when they beat, you know, they're still unbeaten against Barcelona and, and Sturrock running the game in the new camp. And you hear about the quality of that Scotland team from the mid-80s. And so that was kind of, um, there, there was an automatic respect there from a Scotland national. I didn't necessarily impress him enough to get in his team, but what I did learn, I took on and, and helped me and uh, stood me in good stead at uh, clubs beyond that. Yeah, Stoney, uh, you can tell about uh, you had slightly more success. He said. <laughs> yeah, I think he had a, he had a really clear idea about what he wanted strikers to do. I think, and and I think maybe I tried. Well, what I, what I tried to do was follow his instructions mainly. And I think across football, you know, there's a there's kind of a history and a cultural thing. You know, managers and coaches give instructions and if you, if you do what they say and do what they ask, they'll, they'll stand by and, and pick you and, and you know, um, it helps your career along. So, yeah, I think holding the ball up was one thing that he really wanted a striker to do and to link play. And I just remember, um, you know, the pattern of play being 
you know, a really frequent thing where Dave Worrell would get the ball um, at right back. I'd have to make an angle for him and I'd try and try and keep the ball and then maybe switch it out to the other side or give it to Buster. And, you know, that was, that was so ingrained that when I went to Torquay on loan, you know, several years later, uh, you know, Buster was there on the right wing and, you know, we, we were able to link up in exactly the same way. And it just, you know, we didn't say a word to each other about it, but it was just automatic. And I think that was, that was um, Sturrock's um, genius, if you like, was in building a team and, and having a really clear idea about what he wanted from them in, in terms of how they played. Um, <laughs> Style-wise, you know, having, having studied a bit of coaching over the last few years from an academic perspective, you know, um, I think generally if you went home without being, you know, on the end of a severe telling off, you were pretty much elated. Um, don't remember too many well dones. But again, that was, that was something where, you know, um, in his way, that was his style of working. That was his, um, if you like, the way of keeping players on the toes. And, and yeah, I think I was more surprised. We had a, a bit of a reunion game um, with one of the championship squads, I think at Liscard a few years back. And, and on that day, we, we, we played all right, actually. And it, I just remember on that day, it's, it's him. we were still probably in awe of him in the same way that we always were. But him saying well done that day and it was really you know we were kind of taken aback what's this what's going on you know so yeah you um praise was hard earned but really clear about what he wanted and i think you know my my view was that i was perhaps able to do some of some of what he was asking and and you know maybe pick me pick me more often than not which was great obviously for me yeah uh, we've had a question sent in from jason oton um what was your reaction when the Argyle fans were chanting Stonebridge for England? <laughs> Depends when it was. I think if I was still under 18, that was, it, was, it was all right. I think maybe two or three years later, it was a little bit less realistic perhaps, but no, yeah, fantastic. And, you know, as every player would say, I think whenever, whenever there's, there's a kind of recognisable chant, song, whatever it is that, that, that is kind of your own, it's, it's you know, you can't describe that, I don't think. It's, it's really special. And, um, you know, despite the fact that that possibility perhaps went further and further away as, as over my time at Argyle, you know, it still it brings you back to where you were at the start and perhaps gives you that, that feeling of confidence again. And, yeah, fantastic. I don't, don't know what Grits thought of that. It, well, do you know, there was that... Because uh, I was always, I was usually on the bench. You started more games. And then I, there was like a bring on the gritting, which was almost to the same <laughs> thing. And I was like going... Doesn't it's not really as good, is it? You know, Stonebridge, Stonebridge for England to bring on the grit, and it's like, well, you know, you, you got to take them where you can. But uh, but no, it was, it was it was good. It was a good time. I, I, as we were just saying about it, though, you got to be proud of when you've got a team, you've got someone playing international in your dressing room. It's great. Even like when I was at Torquay, and we had uh, Tony Bedo was playing for Grenada, and it's just funny when you get these faxes that come through the international request for your player to go and play and you're just like this is, it's like something out of champ manager isn't it stony it's hilarious but it's just like well not hilarious but just like brilliant when you've got you can be proud of teammates that are playing for their country or, or, or representing international football yeah definitely i can imagine yeah. it gives you plenty of uh, plenty of material to take the mick and you know add to the dressing room banter shall we say yeah um Two promotions in three years for you, Stoney. Uh, it must have been disappointing, though, when it got to the stage where, you know, I got up into the championship and, and you left home park. 
yeah, it's kind of like, kind of strange towards the end of that that, that second championship season where um, I think there was a couple of couple of games where I was I was coming on as sub, sub and kind of on the fringes of the team, and then um, I had the unfortunate um, kind of experience of being burgled, and it was it was first of all on a match day someone threw a kind of a breeze block through the window of my flat. And then uh, we were then away to Bristol City on, I think it was on a Tuesday. And uh, literally kind of 45 minutes um, before we arrived at Bristol City on the bus, and one of my neighbours called me again and said, oh, you know, someone's actually broken in this time. And, and that was, that was yeah, not a nice thing to have happen. Um, and I think Summers was in charge, Kevin Summerfield was in charge at that point, And he kind of said to me, look, you know, what do you want to do? You were going to be on the bench. Um, but it's completely up to you. And I knew my mum and dad were, were travelling to the game. So I think in the end I said, you know, I think the best thing for me to do would be to, to get back and sort this out because it was it's obviously someone who perhaps knew that it was me that was living there and was taking advantage of the fact, you know, that we were away. So um, so that kind of meant I was out of the out of that squad on that day and I think I kind of lost personally lost a bit of momentum perhaps towards the end of that season. So when when Bobby Williamson came in as manager maybe I was a name that was that was a little bit down the list in terms of uh, prominence and involvement in the games. Um, and as every manager has a, has a right to do, I think he brought in a, a few of his, his own players, if you like, from north of the border at the start of the next season. So, um, you know, although I've, I, I was involved in, in pre-season training, I don't think he actually saw me play a game before I moved on. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, again, kind of surreal. Tony Adams... Being the Wickham manager at the time, you know, I was a lifelong Arsenal fan, you know, inherited from my dad, um, who used to go all all the time, um, you know, when we lived in London. And so, you know, the, the process of that, which meant me and me and dad travelling up to have a meal with Tony Adams and, and some random agent about, um, you know, joining Wickham. And it was, again, it didn't feel like, um, you know, the disappointment, I guess, of, of, of leaving a club feels a long way away when you kind of sat with one of your boyhood heroes who's saying, you know, I know, I know this is your favourite number. I know this is what you play like and, and, you know, making you feel really important and, and, and special. And so, yeah, it was, it was a shame to, to leave at that point, but, you know, as, as Grits will know um, from having moved, moved clubs as well, you know, you have to have to get on with stuff pretty quick and there's not a lot of room for sentiment. You know, I don't, don't take it personally, although I'd like to have, have shown, the new manager, what I could do, you know, you can't you can't spend time dwelling on that. You've got to got to get on with things. So yeah, that, that, that happened pretty quickly at the start of that that season. I think we were away in Austria on the preseason trip when I got the news. Um, and so yeah, came back, met up with Tony Adams with my dad. You know, fantastic experience. He was dad was absolutely buzzing. And then yeah, within a, within a few days, you're you're kind of in a hotel room somewhere else in the country. Um, you know, playing with playing with a new team. So yeah, quite surreal, but but positive, I think, in the end. What was that like playing for Tony Adams? Obviously, we've seen clips of him and his certain video clips on social media, should we say, of his uh, coaching techniques and things. Perhaps not quite the manager he was, you know, a fantastic player, not quite, didn't quite, you know, make that transition to manager, I guess. Yeah, I think you know, I, I would I wouldn't dream of trying to judge judge someone based on um, you know what what's happened to them or, or those, those short clips. My experience of, of him was that um, you know he was always honest with me. He was always um, upfront, told me told me how it was. Even though I think you know almost as soon as I went there, 
I ended up playing out on the left, which I'd, I'd done a little bit for Argyle and, and perhaps wasn't my wasn't my favourite position. But again, you know, you, if you're going to get picked, you, you, you do what you're told and you, and you go where you're put. So um, although I ended up playing the majority of my time at Wickham, perhaps out, out on the left of midfield or left wing, you know, um, Tony Adams himself, I've not, you know, I've certainly not got a bad word to say about him. Obviously had some injury troubles and ended up having to having to pack in while I was a, a Wickham player. And you know, one of the first first calls that I had was was him on the phone, you know, offering his his best wishes, which you know to me, um, you know, was was a really nice thing for him to do, you know, to a certain degree unexpected. Um, but yeah, I think I think what was what was perhaps hard for him at that stage was was coming down from working at such a high level and being used to you know extremely high standards under Arsene Wenger at, at Arsenal. I think. Um, you know, maybe had some ideas that he wanted to implement that we weren't quite good enough to do, and that that, that kind of translated into a bit of frustration, and, and ultimately in in it not quite working out for Wickham for him at that stage. But yeah, as I said, um, you know, for me, really interesting character, some some interesting methods that I think you know at, at the time were were uh, different to most people that were working in League Two. Um, and as I said, yeah, my my. Um, you know, he, he didn't diminish in my um, my expectations or my my kind of um, my thoughts of him as my as one of my, my heroes growing up didn't change as a result of, of of playing under him and my experiences there. So, no, it was disappointing the way it where it ended, but you know, as I said, positive overall. I think. Did he? Sorry, did he know your dad was a, a striker as well? Did he know anything about a Bromley boys? I don't think he did that. I don't think he, he would have done then. No, I think you know, dad's dad's obviously um, London are kind of born and bred, and and had had his own own non-league, you know, playing career and playing history, and and you know what what happened with the film and everything was was fantastic. But no, he wouldn't have known, known about it at the time. I think it's still, um, yeah, it, when it pops up on the old streaming services, which have obviously been getting a, a, a bit of a battering during lockdown. You know, and my son Joshua who finds it quite novel. He's like, "What that that character's granddad is it?" Yeah, yeah, that's him. And and dad dad took great great pleasure in kind of uh, you know pointing out the accuracies and the inaccuracies in the story. So no, it was good. He did actually have a four capri, which was which he was yeah, he was very proud of. So. <laughs> that brilliant. You had, a, you, had, you had some good players at Wickham though. I remember that you the who's. Because the reason why you weren't playing up front is because they probably had the two best played players in the bottom two divisions, didn't they? They had Tommy Mooney up front, and yeah, so Tommy Tommy came in. I think I can't remember exactly when Tommy Mooney joined. Uh, Nathan Tyson was who I played up front with to, to start with there, and he obviously had had a had a great career. You know, he's, he's frightening pace, really good finisher. Um, you know, and at that level at that stage, he was obviously a, a young player, but um, you know, it was it was interesting to watch him come through and obviously the, the impact he could have at that at that at that stage was was really strong yeah Tommy Mooney as well obviously at the other end of his career but hugely experienced and you know knew knew how to put himself about a pitch and 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 obviously again was a really really effective player for Wickham during his time there as well so yeah and centre midfields Doherty and Rob Lee was quite a handy centre midfield partnership as well yeah we had we had some interesting um Really interesting players, and, and some players perhaps you know who were coming towards the end of their career at that stage. So when Robley came in and started training with us to start with, and then then was playing some games. Steve Guppy as well, who was obviously I think a Wickham legend before going on to on to Leicester. 
had, had, was fantastic to have around the place. And yeah, so we had a real, real mixture. Steve Claridge as well, obviously quite a character, you know. So it was a real mixture of, um, of different, different experiences, I think, in that squad. And, and you know, we had some, had some successful times. Went through a few traumatic things as a squad. Um, but yeah, ultimately made, made some friends there that, that I still speak to to this day. And it was, it was really good to see, um, you know, them going up to the championship, which is obviously extraordinary, but more, more personally for me to see Matty Bloomfield, you know, being involved and playing such a big part of it. You know, I think you could, you could see from his emotions after, after that success, um, you know, that, that it meant so much to him and he deserves that from all the, all the effort he's put in at Whipham and the commitment he's shown to them over the years. So. What a strong character is in that dressing room, isn't it? I felt exactly the same for Bale. I know you can't ignore Bale, I confirm, because he's just uh, such a charismatic and very watchable personality, whether he's on the pitch or off it. But seeing him succeed, and I love the you know the way that the camaraderie between the manager and the players, Ainsworth, the way that he's got that relationship with them, doesn't always work, and it can sometimes put you under a lot of pressure because when they go up next season, and he's going to have to make some hard decisions. But you see a team. At that moment in time, it's like crystallised. That's that, that forever. The forever they'll have that memory, and uh, and yeah, seeing Bale, I'll, seeing Bale talk to Klopp on WhatsApp was perhaps the most surreal thing. Am <laughs> I uh, thinking you played with him at Torquay? Yeah, that's right. So I just when I left, we had a front three. I mean, Torquay we were always known for playing good football, but we had the biggest front three I've ever seen in my life. We had me, him, and. Uh, Leon Constantine, I think we were playing as a three. Couldn't quite, couldn't quite make it work. I think um, you know we had, we played some good football, but we you know our key players, Alex Russell, we, uh, Jason Fowler, um, like phenomenal players. But we just you know we, I, it was sad to see the club go down that season. But I left at the time and I'd scored six by Christmas, and I was had an opportunity to to go to Grimsby. I couldn't really turn down. And I, you know just going back to when I joined there, like it's like Stoney says about Sturrock you know exactly what you want to do. So when I went to Torquay, and it was just a lot more relaxed, and, you know, Sturrock would have me out in the, doing extra training before and after on my right foot because it was rubbish. And uh, and when I went to Torquay, I would, I would carry on doing the right foot training, and Leroy just said, why are you training your right foot? It's rubbish. We'll just, find <laughs> we'll, just, we, we'll just find a way so you can chop back on your left more creatively or fool people into, you know, just like... So those sort of little management styles that I found really helped me as a player because, uh, you know, Stoney, you'd probably been trained to death from the uh, Tottenham just with the, the drills and the technique. And I know that you, me and you used to go out and do some stuff in the afternoon, which I, which really helped me technically-wise. But I was, let's put it as well, I wasn't the most technically gifted player, uh, but Leroy found a way to get the best out of me, you know. So that, uh, you know, I'll always remember that. Yeah, I think the killer for, for us, for me and um, Kevin Wills, who obviously lived with us as well at the, the time, was, uh, you know, we'd, we'd be in at the club in Plymouth, living kind of 10 minutes from the ground. We'd get back after training and, and Grits, who was already at Torquay, would be home before us. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, you know, it, was, it was obviously successful for them at the time. So, you know, I'm not, certainly not suggesting that was a bad thing. It was, it was bad, bad for us psychologically, but not for Grits, by, by all accounts. Well, the best bit about that, though, Stoney, the reason why I was back is because we all needed we all needed rest. The squad at Argyle, there was two players for every position. I didn't score for about eight or nine games, and I said to Leroy, I was like, I'm, I'm not playing. And I felt my position was under pressure, and he said to me, don't worry, we won't get anyone else to put in. You're going to have to keep playing until you score. So, and, then, and then I went on a run of scoring like 11 in 10, 
and he was like at the end of that run he was like see you know everything evens itself out but at the same time I was like if there'd been any other strikers there I probably would I probably would have had the uh, shepherd's crook a lot a lot earlier but um, but yeah so we find that that first season playing week in week out and it just really helped me as a player but you're right Stoney it's um yeah, the training training regime was a little bit different. <laughs> well, welcome back to the second half of the podcast. We ended up there talking about Torquay. So, um, glass you both. You, you both, of course, played at Torquay. Stoney, I know you went there on loan for a little bit, didn't you, from, from Argyle? And Gretz, obviously, you spent a year or two there permanently. Um, when you go there from Argyle, do you feel you have to prove yourself because of the fact you come from Plymouth and you're a county rival? Or are you warmly welcome because fans kind of know who you are and know what you're capable of doing? Yeah, I think mine. I was I went on loan from Wickham, so obviously I had the background okay. at Argyle, but it was it was it was Wickham that I went went on loan to Torquay from. It was again, it was kind of um, a nice experience for me because I, I I went back and lived at home again. So although it was a few years later and I was a little bit older and you know maybe been looking after myself a bit more rather than having either mum or or Grits looking after us, as Grits used to do with me and Wilsey. Um, you know, I think we, I was able to live at home and travel down to kind of the race course to train. And there were a, a good few players in that squad that had been at Plymouth before. So from a dressing room point of view, it was, yeah, really, really friendly, um, really well-spirited. And, and Leroy was still the manager there. And again, you know, I guess I got to feel some of the benefits of, of the, of the training regime and his approach to things then, which were which were you know really positive. Um, fans wise, yeah, I remember I remember getting a little bit of stick perhaps from Torquay fans during during our old games. Um, I won't repeat it in case my mum ends up listening. But you know, um, I think the the rivalry there was never you know it's never been a spiteful rivalry. It's never been a um, you know a really nasty one. And I think that I was I was uh, you know welcomed in that respect by the fans as well um and I, you know one of one of my regrets would be that I, you know the injury i got when i was there i twist, just twisted my ankle really badly in a in a game and i would have loved to have spent, have spent a bit more time at Torquay. i was really enjoying my football again again it was nice to go from wickham where i was perhaps just on the fringes and being played out of position to going back in and playing up front again meeting up with um you know playing again with buster and craig taylor was there at the time maybe brian McGlinchey as well um, and and a range of other players who who I probably knew of but had never never kind of played with before and, and it was yeah really great experience um but yeah it just cut short a little bit for me so no overall positive not not a hint of trouble from the fans I think as long as they can see that you're, you're giving your best and, and and trying everything for the cause they'll they'll kind of take take you take you in warmly you know I, I concur with that definitely and, and the fact that Tokyo probably benefited from Plymouth, you know, the success of Plymouth in that initial phase, Stoney, when we managed to inherit Craig Taylor, who was Kevin Hodges' skipper, Brian McGlinchey, who's brilliant left back. Um, you know, we ended up getting Buster, but Wilsey and myself, you know, and that was adding to a, a decent squad at Torquay. So, you know, the periphery players at Plymouth benefited from the games, but Torquay definitely benefited from a club uh, by getting the Plymouth players in. And you probably had the best spell of your career at Torquay, Gritz. Yeah, yeah, it was great. First season, uh, I think I was 16, um, uh, which was, a, you know, a good amount for me. I'd, I'd always kind of been a, a sub-bit part player at Plymouth and, you know, I, I felt like Torquay, I kind of had that chance to mature and get the minutes under my belt and, and play as a striker. 
Um, and then you kind of get an understanding of how what sort of player you're going to be if you're going to play professional football. Because when you're playing at fourth level and you're scoring all kinds of goals and taking chances, you know, risks, things that you can't really do on a professional football pitch, you know, get, you know, looking after the ball paramount and then maybe only getting one or two chances. So just made me a little bit more clinical and, and understood what I was good at. Um, that second title or the third season at, at Torquay when when we'd gone up to League One and I'd scored a few goals at that level. So I thought, well, I can I can do it. I can certainly play at this level. But, um, you know, if I'm going to play week in, week out, I'm probably going to have to move. So, you know, going to Grimsby uh, gave me that opportunity. But, um, but yeah, Torquay was a really, really good time. And going up, we went up on the last game of the season on goal difference. And, and I think I've said when we spoke last time, Huddersfield missed out by, I think they drew to Cheltenham. They on their bus they had we're going up and they had all the bottle of champagne and that it's the sort of thing that just writes itself you know we got on the on the coach and Mike Bateson was like we better get to the supermarket and buy some beers for the trip back from South End because I think he deserved it so you know I, I think I, I think I was in my tracksuit all week uh, just walking in Torquay just buzzing off the fact that we got promoted. Um, and we even have, we have an open top bus tour for coming third in League Two. I mean, you can't beat that. You know? <laughs> Loved it. It was a good team, though. I'm thinking David Graham played in that team as well, didn't he? And he was um, he was a fantastic player for Torquay. Yes, well, maybe one of the best strikers. No offence, Tony, that I played up front with. David Graham was just a unique talent. Right foot, left foot, just would just decimate um, those teams, and was always 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 great under in big pressure games. You get a lot of strikers that might you know kind of flat track bully sort of thing, score a lot of teams against the weaker sides. Davey would always up his game against the Hulls and the, the teams that we were playing. You basically say anyone that we were playing a big team, he would turn up uh, and, you know, deserved his move to Wigan. And, and you know, I think he had a few challenges later on in his career. But, uh, yeah, he'll always be remembered fondly as one of the best strikers. You know, I played with him. One of the best strikers Toki you've ever had. Yeah. What about you, Stoney? Who are your sort of favourite strike partners? Yeah, I think um, Grits already mentioned Sean McCarthy and Mickey Evans, who I guess for me were kind of um, not dissimilar playing up front with. Um, Mickey was probably a bit more, um, I wouldn't say, um, certainly not friendly or cooperative, but I do remember getting a few rockets off of Sean McCarthy when I didn't pass to him or something. I think whether he was stuck on 199 goals for a while, and I think he was blaming me every time for not passing to him and, you know, so, um, yeah, I remember getting a few earfuls from him, but being able to play um, off someone like that, and I think it's something that you don't see perhaps as, as often in the in the modern game, you know, two strikers up and, and you know, them working really closely together as a, as a pair. Um, so, yeah, I think me, me and Mickey built up a decent understanding in that front as well. Um, yeah, Grits, when we played together, we were both full of enthusiasm, and I think that's, that's the thing that can kind of... Um, you quite a long way certainly for for a short period of time as it as it kind of worked out for us at the start of that season where you know um playing without too many worries you know being really young and, and fresh and, and um new to the whole thing and and just both of us being in that same situation really just being able to enjoy it without any other any other concerns you know was was, was a good time so yeah and then yeah playing with someone nice and quick like nathan tyson you know meant that i was able to to kind of Play a slightly different role, although we perhaps didn't have that partnership for as long as as long as I would have liked. Um, you know, lots of lots of different attributes, which I think then mean you adjust your game. And, and it was always, I think, you know, 
whether Grits would say the same, there was always it was always about partnerships. You know, most teams tended to play with with um, with two up or at least um, you know when Sturrock had his, his away from home system. When I, I tended to not play as often, and, and Kevin Wills would, would come in as an extra player and play in midfield. Um, you know, so yeah, lots of different experiences um, and those different attributes, which yeah, made, meant that you had to do different things and adjust your game, perhaps. So. I know Wilsey's still bitter about um, his reserve appearances that season, where he's like, I think I would play most of the home games and Wilsey played most of the away games, and he also seemed to play all the reserve games, and I got away without playing many at all. So that's still getting him moaning and worrying about that. He chalked, up, he chalked up some minutes that year, didn't he? Yeah, to be yeah. fair, though, I was playing a lot of reserve games, so we were buzzing when he came back down because he was absolutely on fire for us. I remember a game we played against some Blazy. I don't know if you remember, Chris, uh, Wilsey was just, he scored right foot, left foot, top corner against them. And the St. Blazy team was like the guys that I used to play against at Port Levin that were all a really tough game for us. So to get one over on them that day in a way that we just looked, we looked apart, we gave them a good, uh, we gave them a good match. And uh, Wilsey was absolutely running things. So yeah, I'm glad Sturrock made him play Resi games. I think Neil Warnock was there watching as well that night. Is he used to, to come down to matches occasionally, you know, whenever he was in the area, and he was always a good supporter of the local local game in Como. His his lads just signed for Bobman. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic. I'm not. How old is he now, Chris? Twenty one, something like that. Will Warnock? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, he was in the Argyle Academy for a while, and um, then was at Cardiff with his dad for a little bit, and uh, yeah, signed for Bobman. So. Although his dad's a fair bit uh, of a way from Cornwall at the moment, isn't he? Being yeah. up at Middlesbrough. But, uh... How difficult is that, though, Grits and, and Stoney? When, when you've been playing in the first team and you have to sort of drop down to the Southwestern League and play reserve football, is it hard to motivate yourself? Or do you just do it because you love playing football? Uh, I'll, I'll go first. I mean, from our perspective, I, I all the games I could get were really helpful against the, be the best teams. So I find reserve football a lot... A lot made a lot more sense up country at the other clubs because we got to get against other pro clubs. So you have that regular um, playing against good standard players, but you've got coaches there, you've got scouts there that are just watching the games. So there was always a kind of, um, I always felt as though you're part of the professional game. I find sometimes when you play against the, the non-league teams down in the southwestern area, you know, not always the games aren't always as competitive as you need them to be. Or, you know, you play against teams with a bit of needle and, you know, I've I, I got injured in a couple of those games just from them being quite fierce matches. So, I um, don't know if that was always a, a benefit, but listen, players need to play and if they're not playing, you know, you need to find a way to get them to get games. But, uh, Stoney, how did you find it? I think I, I was used to enjoy it and I think it, it, as a striker, you see it as a chance to try and score some goals and nudge your way back into the manager's thinking if that's, if that's the the kind of aim of it so yeah and as Grit said the the nature of it means that when you're when you're playing if it's if it was at Argyle and it was pre-season games or it was it was more local friendlies you know that them raising their game to play against you was, was always always nice and it was, it's a nice occasion to go out as a Plymouth Argyle player you know around the rest of the southwest and I think there's you know um there's a lot of good feeling for the club right across Devon and Cornwall um and so that was that was always a good experience I felt um I think I stitched myself up once though where Sturrock, I think Sturrock used a game at Torquay to try out some things and he stuck me left midfield and I did okay and then he picked me there and I think I'm not claiming any kind of credit for this but we won 7-0 or 6-1 I think on the Saturday and that was me 
I was a left midfielder from that point on. So, yeah, maybe I could rewind and have a bit of a stinker that day and then maybe a better game as a striker later on. It would have, would have been a bit different. But, yeah. Obviously, you uh, you both scored a few goals for our girl. Um, I think it was 45 goals and 147 starts and 54 substitute appearances for you, Stoney. And Grits, nine goals in 54 appearances. Have you got fav- I'm sure you both have favourite goals. Which ones would they be? Tony, I mean, derby match. <laughs> I'm going to start off with that. Stuart, Stuart, you're an extra man, aren't you? Sorry, mate. I do not mean to do that to you, but sorry. Do you know what? I was, I'll come clean on this now then, because um, it's not been known on the podcast until that moment, so uh, grips that I'm a... Oh, sorry. But I was, I was actually on the big bank that night, and I was stood next to Martin Phillips' sister. And of course, Stoney scores that winner in the last minute, and Buster was giving her all this in front of the big bank, and everyone was going mental around me, and she's like, going, "Oh, stop it, Martin!" <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that's, my, that's my memory of that game. It wasn't a particularly nice one, I must admit. <laughs> oh, it's funny how um, it's funny how the memories kind of the things that become more prominent as you as as the years go by. Because I think you know one of the things I remember from seeing the. You know, on the night, but also the replays, Buster's reaction, you know, when, when we scored that goal was was just incredible. And I think, you know, it, it shows you how much it meant and the kind of, um, you know, I guess the chaos that ensued after we scored, that there was no kind of choreographed celebration. I think about seven people ran in different directions and, you know, we tried to catch up with Buster, but he was often, you know, often running. But no, yeah, it's, it's really hard to look past that one as a, as a favourite. Just, you know, from a point of view of the... Um, the, the meaning of the goal for for the for the team and the club and the supporters you know it's it's something that um, is always a nice talking point and you know it's it's something nice to look back on and share with the fans you know for, for the, the number of fans over over the years that you know can remember it or you know always refer to it and got another a different story you know their own story about why why that goal was 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 nice for them and and you know, made their night and what happened afterwards and all that stuff. So, you know, yeah, exit, exit goal to, to score a winner in a 3-2 in a local derby, you know, last minute. It's it's one of those those things that you, you perhaps dream about. And, and it's, as I said, yeah, hard to look past that one as a, as a favourite. I remember Roman Lario making an unbelievable save from Christian Roberts in that game as well. Yeah, I mean the 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 back and forth of the, the kind of flow of that match was yeah, you know quite extraordinary, really. The momentum and obviously Buster had a great great match, and I think there was there was a lot of um, lot of stuff happening, you know, in terms of the team and, and changes in the team because I think we hadn't had the best start to the season um, at that point, and so it was a really important result for us in the context of the season as well as uh, you know as well as it being just a, uh, you know a really important local derby as as they always were. Yeah, let me just check. No, Grits didn't score against Exodus, so I'll ask that question to you as well. <laughs> I, I, I did when, when, when we beat them with Torquay 1-0 and you guys got relegated, so apologies for that. <laughs> <laughs> you, did, you did tee me up. <laughs> um, I, I, Stoney makes a good point there about goals and how they factor in the, the importance to the season and sometimes the triggers for you personally to go into a good run of form. Uh, I think I, I talked about it with you, Stuart, in our last chat, so I won't, I won't go into too much detail. But we played Holloway, and it was like I'd had a bit of a sloppy warm-up. I didn't know if I was going to get a chance. And I think, you know, Steve McCall had, had pulled me aside and had a word of my ear. And then, like, I scored a last-minute equaliser. 
uh, and that was a good Hull team that we were playing against. And also, it just made the, the journey back home feel like you were, you know, you got something out of a game that you probably didn't deserve to, or maybe not, maybe deserved a draw. But it's, it certainly it was, it was, it was an important moment for me anyway. Um, so that goal against, because it's not a classic one, is it, Stoney? It just kind of bobbles in the corner. But I think there's a good picture of me and you wheeling away to celebrate from that one. Um, I'll try and dig that one out for you. Uh, uh, and then I scored a, I scored a decent one. I came on in my first season. I'd, I'd kind of not been in the team a lot. And I scored a second goal against Carlisle. We beat Carlisle 2-0. And I scored one. And it's just like the way of taking it down and finished it was just really pleasing on a, on a kind of technique level. Um, but also, it was coming on. If you came on as a sub, as a striker, people want some sort of impact. Yeah. You're expected to add something to the game. It's not always easy to do because you come on and you can get, you know, getting to the pace of the game can be really difficult sometimes. So, I um, yeah, that was a really pleasing one. My first goal against Walsall as well. I come on and just did this wee clip, chip it over the keeper one. But we got batted for one, I think, didn't we, Stoney? And it was over two legs. I think we got beat probably about eight one against them or something. So, that was... You scored in the best spot in the first one, though, didn't you? Yeah, it was my um, yeah, my, it was my first senior goal, and it, maybe not so auspicious. Chris Hargreaves volleyed it. I think I turned my back on it because I was probably scared of getting hurt. It hit me on 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 the back or on the bum and ricocheted in. I just it was really awkward because he was really angry about it because it was like that's my goal, and I'm like, well, it did hit me, but whatever, you know. And I think it got given to me. And like you said, yeah, we lost four. We lost the first leg. 4-1 and the second leg 4-1 as well, I think. Uh, Chris was very generous that night because despite 4-1, I think a 9 out of 10 sticks in my mind. So, you know, that was obviously a really fair fair reflection. But, no, I remember I remember your goal at, at Home Park, Chris. I was going to mention that one, actually. Yeah, it was a, a nice, really nicely curled left-footed chip. So, no, memorable goal for you there. Yeah, I think, I think Stoney's, made, Stoney's made history there because that might be the first time that a player has ever told me that I've given them too high a rating. <laughs> I've had I've had plenty of occasions where I've been told that I've uh, undermarked them, but uh, <laughs> but a first time is uh, wow, that's quite impressive. I tell you, I remember that Walsall uh, game at the Bescott Stadium because that was the night before the total eclipse that was down in Plymouth, and we played the game up at the Bescott. I stayed up there on the Tuesday night to write my copy up, and then I drove back to Plymouth on the Wednesday morning, and. Um, the roads going south were like um, really quite quiet. The eclipse was around about midday, I think, in Plymouth or early in the morning. And then all of a sudden, as I was driving back to Plymouth, everyone that had headed down to Plymouth to see the total eclipse started heading up back up the M5. And the amount of traffic coming up the M5 as I was heading back from people that had driven down to Plymouth to see the eclipse was amazing. It always sticks in my mind. It was like a really busy Saturday or Friday in the middle of summer. And... Uh, so I, I remember that Walsall game quite well, just for that reason, that there was the total eclipse the following day. What August your, 2000. Yeah. What about your, your favourite memories then and, and, and games and things like that at Argyle? It's hard to pick out for me. Stoney, you got... Stoney, those ones, the ones where you guys got promoted over... What was the weekend? I always thought that those two were amazing games. Yeah, we went to um, we went to Carlisle and Darlington, didn't we? So I think I, was it a Saturday and a Monday? Yeah, that's Saturday right. and Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, quite I guess un, unlike Sturrock, we changed we changed and played a whole new system. I think so. We ended up playing. I couldn't tell you the rest of it, but I know I was playing behind 
I think I was playing behind Mickey and Marina Keith. Um, so we had, you know, really attacking, really attacking lineup, and it obviously, um, you know, paid dividends in those two games. But yeah, that was that was some weekend, and we stayed up, and obviously, um, the Darlington game on the on the Monday, um, and yeah, another fantastic result, four one was it, and um, you know, to seal the actual actual championship. And like like you said, grits. You know, I think we we stayed in our tracksuits most of that most of that week, and uh, yeah, <laughs> Cheltenham still needed. Cheltenham needed points off us on the Saturday to, to get automatic promotion themselves. And I don't know that there were a few lads that were perhaps slightly worse for wear. You know, obviously I was just a, you know, focused professional all that week and, you know, um, you know, thinking about Saturday's game. But yeah, they, it was quite strange. They came to us. We must have been a bit, um, a bit worse for wear, but we ended up beating them 2-0 on the Saturday. So that was, in, you know, in front of Home Park, completely full and, you know, celebratory mood, really nice sunny day. So that was... That was a fantastic memory, but yeah. I remember that, Stoney, as well, because that's Sturrock in the dressing room saying, and I, I respect to the league, you know, the importance to put in the performance that day. And it was like, he's absolutely spot on because you don't switch off in Cheltenham. Well, it only started, I mean, there was no love lost between us and Cheltenham anyway, was there, over that few-year period? Um, so, uh, yeah, that, that was nice. That was a nice day to celebrate. <laughs> Why was that then? Why was there no love loss? Had there been a few? Um... I remember well, Steve Cosrell was a gaffer there. Was it Stoney? And there was a bit of a, there was a little bit of a tussle in the in the in the tunnel with David Frio and one of their players. And I think just there was a bit of needle. Cheltenham were notoriously quite a physical team. I think they suffered because of it because they would go up into League One. They had a big couple of big strikers, and big players that were just kind of, you know, you go up to a higher standard, you get found out. Um, unless you've got a good, like, good squad or good, you know, good tactics. But that's how I remember it, Stoney. Anyway, I don't know if. Um... Yeah, I think I think there was definitely. I can't I can't remember the specifics, but yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right. There was a bit of a scuffle at one of the games. So yeah, it was it was nice for us to be able to put kind of keep one over on them and and be the you know stick a needle in their balloon, even though it was our celebration, really. You know. And then, of course, two years later, you won promotion again, didn't you? Up from. Uh... From League One, as it is now. Yeah, personally, it, like, as, as we talked earlier about, as a striker, it's goals sometimes that you remember, and, and like Grit said about coming on as sub and trying to have an impact. So there, there were, I think, a couple of games towards the end of that season. Um, Blackpool away, I think Nathan Lowndes got a, a, a knock on the head, and I came on quite early in that game and, and managed to score a goal to to get an important result away up there. And then um, home game against Port Vale, I think. Um, where me and Buster were sent on as subs quite quite late on. And again, um, I think we were able to have an impact that game. And I remember, like, Chris, I think it was, it was, I don't think there was anything wrong with your shot at hole. I think it was probably well struck. But my, my one against Port Vale was definitely an absolute bobbler. But there's a picture and it looks like, I think it went through at least two players' legs before it kind of scuffled into the corner. It's probably why the keeper didn't get near it, despite it being so slow. But yeah, that was... Um, Really nice, me and Buster again, kind of combining. I think a couple of times there to to have an impact and, and important important points again. So it's it's a nice, always nice to score a goal. Generally, it's a relief to score a goal, but when you can can have an impact on on a season like that, that was that's still really memorable as well. I'd, I'd well for for special like our moments. I'd say even at the beginning, I think a lot of mine were just at the very at the very start. Again, that enthusiasm you talk about when you're young and you kind of don't have 
there was no pressures on us in that 3-0 game at Brighton. I'm pretty sure I'd just agreed to sign a proper contract. So I was on a month, I was on a month um, non-contract terms, maybe, or just a month contract to kind of prove myself. Uh, but off the back of the Peterborough game, where we won 2-1 and you played, yeah, we both played well up front as a partnership then, but I hadn't scored. Then to get on the score sheet in the league against Brighton, was, was, that was a special day. But just one of those classic August battles, you know, it's like red hot sun, good team, getting, getting, getting to play against Brighton and Albion, uh, a, a, a busy home park, uh, and then get a couple of goals. And st- you scored a good header that day, didn't you, Sonny? Fingers off my shoulder, but I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> He's very honest, isn't he? <laughs> Yeah, but that you know, we it just like I did with my all my mates had come up for it. My family were there. It's one of those ones where you just kind of feel, uh, yeah, it was a special afternoon. Yeah, of course, Argyle have gone up from League Two again this season. Um, what have you made of of Argyle under Ryan Lowe, and how do you think they'll do in League One? Well, it's funny. I'll start this one. I've probably, probably seen a little bit more of them than you. Do you get to many of the games, Stony? Yeah, we get, get to a few, yeah. So, um, kind of through involvement in the academy over the years, and, and in recent years, we can get we can get to the games on Saturday sometimes. So, um, no, it's it's been a been quite refreshing, I think. Um, you know, the the willingness to play football and to trust the players, and and really to show that belief in a again, not dissimilar to Sturrock in that I think he's got a really clear philosophy about what he wants to do, along with um, Steve Schumacher and, and Neil Jusner, and I think that's. Um, that's evident in that they want to keep trying this, um, you know, positive way of playing out from the back and being really constructive with the way they play. And I think that's, I think it's great to see. And, and clearly, they've got players that are that are good enough to do that as well. And I think that, yeah, some of the football um, over his time so far has been been really great to see. And you know, looking forward to seeing how the how the squad develops um, towards next year. Great to see some of the younger players in there. So you know, Adam Randall. In particular, as a player that I signed as an under-11 coach, so I can picture him when he was, you know, no smaller than this desk. Um, he hasn't changed much, you know. He was a really fantastic, intelligent young player back then. Um, so it's great to see him getting getting a chance to be in the squad, and I'm, I'm sure he'll he'll continue to develop. And, and Mike Cooper as well, again, um, really dedicated to his time across across his development through the academy. Um, had some fantastic coaching through that period from from Reese Wilmot, and, and again, I'm sure um, there's there's lots to come from those two and more. You know, Luke Jeffcott breaking through last year, um, again, such such a so refreshing to see those those younger players getting a chance. So I think that's that's been a, a, a real um, you know positive from from Ryan Lowe's tenure so far is that willingness to to trust those younger players and, and give them a chance where, where he could, you know. I think I think he's integrated the young players really well, and also just as you say, stuck to his philosophy. Uh, probably early on, Chris, you remember as well that go to places like Northampton. Northampton, a tougher team than people gave them credit for at the time. And you look at the uh, Argyle finding that a tough a, a tough challenge, but well, you saw how tough it was for Exeter in the, in the playoff final against them. How good a side, and you and you wonder if it would make a manager change the way that he plays. But I think Ryan then just stuck to his guns, played the players. And then when they got into a good run of form, kind of like what he did with Bury in the second half of the season, that run of form got him up into a position where they, you know, I mean, there was some good fortune perhaps about the the way that promotion f- 
fell for the top three teams just because, you know, Exeter had been up there all season and it was a, a challenge for those guys because it was pretty tight. So Argyle can be lucky in that respect, but I think he's got a squad that can compete in League One. It'll be interesting to see his mentality as opposed to Derek Adams' mentality when they were in League One because Derek, you know, obviously was quite a, he would always err on the side of caution and was was more risk averse and play play a lineup that would just have one guy up front and it'll be interesting to see how Ryan Lowe um decides to, to, to attack the league. I think the interesting thing for me is how well Argyle have improved defensively under Ryan Lowe. You think back to the start of the season, they were conceding so many goals and it was the same defenders that they had in League One. And you spoke there, Stoney, about their philosophy of playing out from the back and what have you. Those defenders improved dramatically over the course of the season, didn't they? Yeah, you know, again, the from, from some of the work that we, we do on coaching and, and what we try to um, instill in our, our students up at Marjons, you know, it's um, a lot of the time, you know, if you, if you just ask for something once, but uh, there's pressure and it doesn't quite work out, it doesn't necessarily mean those players or the, the, the people that you're working in in whatever sport you're doing is that they're not good enough or that they can't do it. They might have just got something wrong that time. So, you know, showing that trust and willingness to, to not shout and scream at people when they make a mistake, because, you know, we all know nobody makes a mistake on purpose. Um, but trusting them, working with them, showing them, right, you know, this is what we're going to do, and I'm going to keep believing in you, and I'm, I'm not going to criticise you if this doesn't work out. And if you can see the goal doing this, which I think, I, I don't know if I'm directly quite quoting Ryan Lowe, but, you know, if they, if they concede a goal through doing that, the onus is on the manager, it's not on, on the players, which again is really important as a player to feel right. The manager is, is on our side here, he's trusting in us to try and put this into action and I think that that then becomes apparent in players that when they then get success and they, they reinforce that, it can it can really, really show um, show huge benefits in, in this case, in the way, like you said, that they're, that they're able to play out from the back, have the confidence to do that and and the willingness, you know, most of those players, you know, they're professional footballers. They've got the ability to do it. A lot of it is going to be around the, the pressure that you get from doing it on a match day when somebody's running at you and you know if, if you make a mistake, it, it can cost your team. It takes takes a, lot, a whole lot of bravery to do that and confidence to do that. And so, you know, as strikers, we were always perhaps fortunate in that if we make a mistake, generally it's far enough from our goal that that you're not going to be, um, you know, directly responsible for a goal, although obviously missing chances is, is a similar sort of thing. But yeah, for, for defenders to be be willing to do that, you know, I, I certainly commend the way they've developed that over, over the course of his time there. Yeah, I, th- I think he, I'm thinking of one or two goals last season, Chris, where that was the case. Was it Macclesfield away and he came out and said, don't blame the defender, blame me. It's what I want them to try and do is play out from the back. Yeah, I mean, it was one of the reasons why the, the team struggled a little bit at the start of the season because they were they were getting used to that. They they that was very different style of play to to what the players that were there under Derek Adams were used to, and inevitably it was going to take time to um to to settle into it. And uh, there were a few uh, speed bumps along the way, but they gradually got there in the end. Indeed. And talking of the end, I think that's pretty much where we are now. <laughs> so. Uh... Yeah. Ritz and Stoney, thanks ever so much for coming on the show. Hope you've enjoyed your uh, your trip down Nostalgia Alley, as Chris called it, earlier in the show. Yeah, it was great. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks, Chris. Great, great to catch up and great to great to look back on those those uh, fond memories. Yeah, that's great. Cheers. Great chat to you both, guys. And uh, yeah, good catching up with Stoney and uh, having a reminisce. Indeed. And we'll be back with more of the same next week. Bye-bye.
We are always happy to hear from you, and if you have any questions for our panel, please tweet them to our Twitter account, at HeraldPAFC, or visit our Facebook page, Plymouth Argyle The Herald. Thanks for listening.